0: Welcome to Inspirations in My Backyard, original, relatable, authentic. Inspirations in My Backyard reflects human journeys shared through inspirational stories around our local heroes. Come and join me. Let's explore now. I first met Stephanie Dolce through an interesting time travel experiment, imagining what future food would look like. She is the co-producer of this dining experience, so I thought, I want to know why she wanted to do this. She must have a very cool story. Finally, I made this happen after she finished her French show, Eating Tomorrow, which has won many awards. And during our chat, I discovered her life is experimental too, with many trials and challenges involved. Now, let's have a listen. Welcome, yeah. Steph, to my show. Thanks for having me. So where are we now?
1: Uh, we're currently sitting in my shared office space in Rumpus Theatre Company, which is in Bowden, Bowdoin Adelaide. Bowdoin in Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. Currently sitting on some cushions in my office. <laughs> it's a very cozy
0: space, and I like the other... Plants, even though they're fake, but still give so much color and very, very homey. And uh, the wall is pink.
1: Very pink. And it seems like pink has just been infiltrating everything that we do at the moment. When you work in a pink office, you feel like everything you want to design or create has this pink tone
0: to
1: it, ah, that's true. which is kind of nice, yeah. Do you, yeah. do you like
0: the color? Yeah.
1: I actually really like the color. I feel like strangely I keep seeing it in lots of things around the place now. Like I think it's just a very in color. Mm. Um, and it's not like a really hot pink or anything. It's a really warm tone. So it's actually a really nice kind of calming um, space to be.
0: Tell us about the, your recent French show. Mm. Yes.
1: So I just put on an immersive theater experience as part of the Adelaide Fringe um, called Eating Tomorrow, which was exploring the future of food um, and society around kind of food systems. Because the work that I do is through my company Post Dining, which I run with my friend Hannah Rolek. She's a dietitian slash visual artist and I have a performance slash events background. So we kind of merge our two worlds to create really interesting interactive experiences around food and eating tomorrow. We've been working with these concepts for quite a few years. Um, We took our inspiration from some research done by the Australian Academy of Science, which looks at four different perspective scenarios of what the future might look like. Um, And we use those four scenarios to create um, four immersive experiences that formed this one hour production that, um, yeah, tried to explore what our food systems and societies might look like in the year 2050. So, <laughs> it it's still a long time. <laughs> yeah, so it's still a little bit of time, not, not crazily far in the is future. Is there any reason
0: why you choose that year?
1: Um, cause that's where the research was based around from the Australian Academy of Science. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't specifically like, yes, this is definitely 2050. It was kind of meant to be a bit, um, broader than that in terms of just kind of getting people to think just a few steps ahead of where we are now it wasn't meant to be completely so far in the future that it feels really disconnected from like how we're living life right now which we thought was really important in terms of the themes that we're exploring so the show kind of takes you through four different rooms essentially each room was completely constructed to embody that whole space and there was a performer in each room who kind of led each scenario um, and they embodied a character that would exist in that world and they kind of facilitated the interactive elements of people eating the food and the storytelling around what that space means and who people are when they enter that space and, and all of that kind of thing. We also had some really great sound design done by Kaya Gosner, who's a local sound um, designer. So, yeah, and a little bit of film and projection work was kind of woven into it as well. So it was really kind of, yeah, meant to be a completely immersive experience that used um, the sets and the lighting and the sound and the actors in a way that you feel completely kind of thrown into that world. The first one being growth, which is a very abundant future. Um, Second one being restraint, where all of our resources have kind of been depleted and we have to enforce pretty strict regimes around how we can um, purchase our foods. Mm -hmm. And for that room, we actually designed an experience where people could purchase like a meal protein provision snack for the day, but their currency was actually water, so they used water dollars to purchase their food, and it was just kind of representing how much water goes into the food that we um, eat today. But also kind of imagining a world where water resources are so scarce that that might become such a valuable thing and something that we have to really think about. Uh, catastrophe was the next room, which is... <laughs> basically what it says, just this idea of this dystopian future where everything's collapsed and all of our societal structures and food systems have kind of fallen apart. Um, and the last one is the hopeful one, which is transformation. So um, it really takes you on a bit of an emotional journey through um, all these different perspective scenarios. And the last one really focused a lot on uh, Indigenous voices particularly Ghana and Na and um, leaders that we've worked with before we, we worked really closely with a man named Jack Buckskin who's a local Ghana leader um, who kind of yeah gave his insight into that space and also lent his voice into some of the um, really cool. some of the interactive parts we did there. so mm-hmm. um, yeah from our perspective we think that yeah for us to really transform in healthy ways we kind of, we do have to really learn from. From the people who, who you know, mm-hmm. understand this country more than we ever could because I've been here for so long. So, yeah, it was really beautiful. So it was interesting because I think these concepts are so mm-hmm. much bigger than what we could ever present in that space of time. But it's, it is really just a bit of a taster of each of those to get people thinking. And so, what winning show
0: for this year?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah gosh. we um we received a weekly award for the best interactive piece and then we ended up winning the overall sustainability award which was really cool because thank you <laughs> um got a great cute little trophy with a heart on it which was nice yeah. um but yeah it was really nice to just be acknowledged as as an overall thing which is yeah an achievement that we haven't had before um you expect? well we didn't even know that that was a category <laughs> so no we didn't expect it <laughs> But I think it's really nice because it's it's sort of in the like because I think the show is like as a show it's really strong but I think it's stronger as a concept and as an idea mm. and the fact that yeah to be recognized by um, you know a sustainability award is kind of yeah speaking to to the to the types of things that we're really trying to do more than mm. put on the best piece of theater you've ever seen. Some people did think it was (laughs) like the best thing they've ever seen. Like it still kind of had that quality to it. But I think Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if it's not like, yeah, like showing that message, I think like that's kind of the important thing. So that was really nice and really humbling. People either love it and think it's like the best thing they've ever seen or they feel quite confronted by it, Mm. which I think is also really valid and kind of part of the point is that we're not really shying away from this stuff. Like we are kind of thinking about some of the scary things in our future, like climate change and sustainability and things like that. But um, it was also really important for us to leave or have people leaving the space on a hopeful note where they felt like they actually could feel empowered to then go out and and engage with these themes more rather than feel so overwhelmed that they <laughs> never want to yeah. think about it again. And I think we really did achieve that. Um, and yeah and part of the part of the excitement for me around this show is it's it's like I think that it can grow and shape in so many different ways and we have lots of different ideas about turning it into more of an educational experience. Mm. They can go out into schools um, make it more of a dining thing where it 's a bit more kind of you talk through each course rather than kind of going through these worlds in a theatrical sense, which is, yeah, very similar to what we've done for the Nature Festival last year. Um, Also, we've just applied for some funding to tour the show regionally as well. So we've had a couple of nibbles of festivals who might want to develop the show in a place-based context that really responds to their food industries within their own towns or cities, wow. which we think is really exciting because you can you can work, you can develop a similar show, like a, a similar framework of a show with the same overall concepts, but develop that in a in a way that makes sense to the people there with their own ideas and their own kind of perspectives yeah. on it, which that to me is the exciting
0: inspirations in my backyard. Original, relatable, authentic. Are you yeah. always the environmental, like, conscious person? That's why it leads you to do this show?
1: Mm, yeah. Like growing up? Growing up? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely always been ingrained in me in a way. Like, I can't even really specify how or what. Mm. But I think, like, my parents definitely encouraged me to be um, – I guess aware of issues in the world that may or may not affect me personally, but like, um, definitely was really strongly encouraged to be engaged in like social justice kind of stuff from a fairly young age. When I was 18, went on a trip to Cambodia through Habitat for Humanity, where you, you go and you kind of help communities build wells and things like that, which I think is <laughs> I don't know. I have some issues with that kind of structure because it yeah. seems quite – I think there's a word for it now that people use, um, something tourism. It's like social justice tourism or something. It just feels a little bit like you're helping, obviously, because you're, you're giving la- like free labor essentially, but it doesn't really feel like you're making that much of a difference. It opens your eyes to issues going on in the world, but it's also stuff that's happening so far away, I think – lately i've been much more interested in how you can make a difference more locally or not even make a difference but just be aware and understanding of issues that are happening that you might actually be able to have a voice in Mm. because i also lived in the uk for a couple of years and i loved it but i did kind of get to the point where i felt like i don't really feel like i belong to this place and i don't know how to have a voice here that to me what makes sense. you feel like
0: you don't really belong like that?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Like I definitely felt like I belonged in a lot of ways. Oh, it's so hard to word. I even did a thesis on this when I came home. <laughs> it's wow. like the understanding of your, like your body in place and that how much cultural stuff makes up who you are and that you never fully going to understand it from – a place that you didn't grow up in, I guess. I don't know. It's really hard to, it's hard to articulate. And it's not that I didn't belong or that I didn't feel like I was welcome or anything like that. But um, I think the types of things that I want to, I think I was just really young and confused, to be honest.
0: (laughs) What made you um, move to?
1: Well, it's funny because I moved there because I felt like I would have that sense of belonging in a way Um, because my dad is English. Like, he moved to um, Australia when he was like seven, so he's very much Australian as well, but I do... I've always felt that really strong connection to my British roots, okay. I suppose. Um, and then my- What own... made you feel like you have that
0: strong connection to British? Yeah,
1: countries. it's interesting because, again, I think like people really assume that the UK and Australia are so similar and it's just not the case um, at all. Like it is in a lot of like, surface waves Mm. but again that real like cultural understanding is so different what are the main
0: differences you
1: i think there's definitely ways of like acting that are very british or understanding human interactions that are quite british it's also like lots of literature and lots of references and um i don't know silly things like growing up watching doctor who or reading narnia or like lord of the rings things are just felt very much of that world that I just always felt really, um, almost like spiritually connected to that kind of landscape and like the, and maybe almost in like a fantasy way of like the forests and the fairies and like all of that kind of stuff really always captured me. And I felt like that was very much kind of, kind of given to me in that very British kind of perspective and I moved there at 21 so it was very young and impressionable (laughs) so what did you feel do you feel like oh it's the same as I imagined as I brought up no I was very naive I just was like I don't really know what to expect but I'm gonna go London, I found really overwhelming to begin with because it's so big and like Adelaide's so tiny. It's barely a city, you know, <laughs> like, especially when you compare it to somewhere like London. So I felt, actually felt really confronted by that. And then I went up to Scotland for the Edinburgh Fringe and volunteered on a show there. Um, it was actually an, an experimental dining experience. Oh. <laughs> so that was almost like the seed of what yeah. we're doing now. Um, but when you
0: chose that one at the beginning, it just, is it just random? It was literally, I
1: wanted to find a paid job, but I was too late because I was looking like a couple of weeks before the friend. And so then I was just looking for anything that I could get involved in and saw that um, this show was looking for volunteers. And I was like, I'll just go and volunteer for this show. And it, that was it. It was a Gumtree post. And then those those two women who put on that show, they were printmakers from Glasgow And they ended up being some of my best friends while I was there. And we went on a whole bunch of adventures together. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they really introduced me to that whole idea of um, using food in art. Mm. (laughs) And that was really blew my mind at the time. I was like, this is crazy. But also when I went to Edinburgh, I just felt this real sense of comfort and like belonging when I was there. I think Scotland's a a much more like warm place to be, even though it's much physically colder. <laughs> really cold. Um but yeah, the people in Scotland I think are much I felt immediately like I wanted to to live in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So um I was studying in um just outside of London and then I finished that and then moved up to Edinburgh. And I do have Scottish roots as well. Oh, so yeah. I definitely feel connected to that. Even more through a bit of space and a bit of maturity. I feel like I do I feel a really strong connection I feel a really strong connection to the UK still but there's always I guess I just found it challenging to always be or like maybe even in myself as like not actually being from there I found that quite challenging in the types of work that I wanted to to create I think yeah it's hard to explain <laughs> so that is a
0: big start and then so you move back
1: yeah, I moved back for like family reasons and also I was like feeling a bit burnt out and was very poor and the weather was horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it'd been like two and a half years since I've seen my family and friends and it was like, okay, oh. it's ready to go. But really, I came back to Adelaide thinking that I'd probably move back in like a year and I
0: just haven't. So I'm still here. What, what, what made you, is it because like all the projects you have been doing and you really enjoyed it and that's why? Yeah, I,
1: mean, I just haven't had enough of a reason to. And yeah, I've been very... Yeah. Caught up in projects here. Um, I also think that I needed a bit of stability for a while, like moving away when I was very young and didn't really know what I was up. It kind of, it took, a, it took a lot of energy to do that. And I think it took a lot of time for me to build up my resilience again to like, yeah, just kind of be okay. Like I, I had a lot of mental health issues and stuff as well which in, I was really dealing with. In,
0: in Edinburgh.
1: Yeah, they definitely got kind of at their worst in Edinburgh and then I was like, I think I really needed to sort this out, but I didn't really know how. And so it was very hard to do that whilst being so far away from everything that I knew. Do you
0: think that's kind of the most challenging moment in your life so far?
1: Yeah, I think so. Like, i <sighs> definitely again, like, but I think the hardest thing was like the mental health journey. And I was experiencing depression in such an intense way that I'd never felt before at a time that I didn't know the medical system there. I didn't know how to reach out to anyone. Mm. I was really far away from family and friends who might be able to tell me that like, this is a normal view. Mm. Um, and I think it's been like a journey of years and years to figure out how to um, manage that side of myself, which I acknowledge is just a part of me and doesn't make me any lesser, um, but is just something that I always have to carry with me. And I have seen like a huge growth of like times where things that might happen now on a day to day basis that would have crushed me. And now I've m- managed to manage that, I guess. Mm. So the height of that was definitely found itself. In Edinburgh I think just because of the isolation of it um and being in a world that I knew but didn't really know because mm. couldn't be further away from you know people who really knew me I had amazing friends there as well though and they're still mm. some of my closest friends and I really miss them mm. <laughs> so it was really yeah there's all there's always like peaks and troughs though yeah I think the the troughs are not going as low as they used to, which is good.
0: Yeah. For me, sometimes I saw like, because I always feel like, oh, I'm kind of always a happy person. So then when I experience that, oh, I don't know, I feel like it's, I'm not really motivated to do what I'm doing and I feel mm-hmm. very scared because I'm like, oh, I don't know what happened. And then when mm-hmm. hearing people say, like, life always have highs and lows and that mm. just make me feel, I don't know, more normal in that way. Because sometimes you feel like, oh, is it this is really bad or, yeah. It's so hard not to beat yourself up about it and
1: not to feel like, mm. yeah, and not to not, I've like I was given a very great term by my counsellor, which is catastrophizing, mm. where you take one thing and then you accelerate it like a hundred times. And it's like, oh, I feel terrible today, therefore I'm never going to be able to do what I want to do ever. Mm. And it's really hard when you're in that moment to see that that is just, a moment in time. And it might last an hour. It might last three weeks. Like it might last six months sometimes, but it's not, it's never actually where it ends, even Mm. if it feels like it is. And I think that it's so hard not to catastrophize and not to beat yourself up about not being good enough when you Mm. don't feel like you're good enough. But yeah, it is thankfully something Mm. that, yeah, doesn't last. But it doesn't mean that it's not really tough to go through it. Mm. And that every time it happens, you're like, oh, here it is again. I thought I'd solved that last time. <laughs>
0: if you want to do it again, <laughs> would you still move back at the age of 21 to Edinburgh?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, no, I- <gasps> yeah. I
0: thought you were like, no <laughs> I do <when> it <laughs> when I get older.
1: <laughs> no, it, like, it kind of shaped everything that I'm who I, like, who I am and what I'm doing and it opened my mind up to so many new things and that was hard because it was, like, I didn't feel like I had a strong enough grounding to then be, come back to myself, I think, after that but it was incredibly exciting to throw myself into all of those things, like, um, just, yeah, the, it, you know, it was very, very exciting
0: time Mm -hmm. to just. Is there any, like, your most memorable moment? So oh, many.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, God, that was just, it was, everything was new, you know, like mm. every, every person you'd never, you didn't have any history with, like in Adelaide, <laughs> you have history with everyone here. Um, I think some of my like traveling adventures with these two artists that I'd met mm. at the my Fringe were some of my highlights because one of them was just so, Brave and daring and kind of just had this like thirst for experiencing life in Mm. a way that was so captivating. And like, you know, I'd go hitchhiking in Eastern Europe with her, where I would never have done that (laughs) like before then. Um, would never have had, yeah, the, would never even known that that was a possibility, you know. Mm or just going on crazy road trips up the coast of Iceland with no money (laughs) and nowhere to stay. (laughs) And like, and just, and because of that meeting the most, like people that you just never meet who just Mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah, look after you in a way that, yeah, it's, yeah. Just incredible experiences like that of just experiencing life and kind of um, in a way that wasn't, packaged up in a mm. in a I don't know tourist vacation mm. and was actually quite potentially quite dangerous but that's what made it so like that yeah just like the things that you get to experience when you really put yourself out there and take
0: risks which
1: I think that you find in general when you travel yeah
0: this people will say like whenever you travel to a new place you can always find a different part of yourself as yeah well. yeah so is there anything like you discovered about yourself?
1: Well, I think that I was just constantly discovering what Mm. I was capable of. And I really pushed that further than I ever thought I could, because I'm not, I'm not like, I'm very, very much an introvert and I was always very shy. And Mm. so putting myself in those situations was not like did not come naturally to me but it was almost just a stubbornness of like no I want to experience this stuff like I'm gonna I'm just gonna go move to the other side of the world and figure it out and I want to live somewhere where I don't know anyone like I want to wanted to take those challenges so um yeah I guess it did really teach me a lot about my ability to adapt and be resilient and and also like survive because like you, the wages in the UK were so tiny and like I had to live in some really not very nice places in comparison to where you know my mm. like, tiny rooms with you know four other housemates and it's like it's fine because you, you have to do it but it's like it's not ideal mm. and uh, yeah I would work part-time but I'd also volunteer for independent arts festivals and then I'd still manage to go and really cheap getaways because we just kind of took buses or hitchhiked or you know like mm. didn't have to spend money and in, in, you know more expensive things so it was it was yeah it was incredible it was a very formative time but I think yeah at the end of it all I was feeling quite burnt out of mm. having to survive.
0: <laughs> Inspirations in my backyard original Relatable, authentic. Now let's just go back to your um, career path. Mm. You have? Are you always being an arts person?
1: Well, I think other people would say yes, absolutely. You're crazy to say no, but like I never felt like I was very creative, and I think that's uh-huh. because um, I think our society puts creative people in such a box or like a pedestal in a way that I never felt like I could connect with that um and like looking back I was like constantly making jewelry and headpieces and costumes and put it like writing shows and forcing my cousins to be in them or like writing songs with my friends and like but I never considered that to be like I just didn't take it seriously I was just like this is just I just had this impulse yeah I think it's taken me a long time to really like I've only just started calling myself an artist because I didn't go to art school. I didn't even... You like, studied th- drama though. I studied drama, but I studied drama theory. So I was never really oh. like the performer. I was always I a bit behind the scenes. And I think that's where I've always been a little bit is like, I, I think I learn through observation and slowly kind of pushing myself to piece things together and I've never been obsessed with one thing so that's I think that's partly why I'm drawn to theater and performance is that um, it can be so many different things and I feel like I've really pieced together this really what I've only only just realized is quite a robust skill set but it took me many years to actually be confident in that. Because I always felt like I'm, I can do lots of things okay, but
0: I can't do anything really well. <laughs> yeah, growing up on me, like my, um, yeah. yeah, my family always taught me like, I oh, you should only focus on one thing, yeah. and otherwise you won't get like that thing mm-hmm. to the top level. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely I.
1: And I mean, imagine. I envy people who can do that, but I just have never had that one
0: focus. I've mm. always been looking at everything and I think that that means so, that, sorry, I'm just curious so <laughs> then as a child do you have any dream like growing up oh, like, when I of? was really young I, I was obsessed with the idea of being an actor I was like yeah, oh
1: I'm gonna be a movie star <laughs> um but actually it was a lot of the social justice stuff that kind of got in my way of like yes. when I got into sort of mid to late high school I think partly it's you lose a lot of self-confidence when you're in high school and partly I just really started thinking about the world more broadly. I do kind of regret this feeling of like I can't pursue my creative arts and if I want to be a decent member of the world you know and like do my part and I think that's a really horrible way of thinking about it because I've now come back around to like I can use this creative energy to do things that are really meaningful and I can still have a good time while I'm doing it. I don't have to be miserable in order to like quote unquote save the world and I think yeah because I've always been a very like sensitive person so when I hear about people suffering I'm like oh I need to do something about that but I've never really felt like I'd known how and Mm -hmm. now I think I'm having a bit of a healthier balance of like I need to look after myself and my needs first and I can use those to do things that are still meaningful things to put out into the world and that they don't have to be separate and that it's not selfish to do what you want to do as well because I think when people do what they want to do, they're much happier and more joyful. And that actually yeah. makes the world a better place as well. Yeah. So it's kind of merging that sense of the joyfulness of creating things with, with a, with, with creating work that actually has a depth to it and isn't mm. just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, everyone has a different, very different calling for what the types of stuff that they want to make, but I do find that I am drawn to making work that is a bit more like, has a bit more of a, not so much a
0: message, but like, um, an emotional depth to it. That's mm. so good. Uh, but what made you to choose um, drama theory in the beginning? Well,
1: partly because I had no idea what I wanted to do, <laughs> and partly because I felt like I should go to uni. And I was like, well, I still love drama, so I'll just. It's kind of. It was sort of a, a a bit of theory and a bit of practical. So it was called drama workshop, and usually you would do that if a you weren't good enough to get into the. <laughs> Like the proper drama course which was also an issue because i did actually um audition for the proper drama course at one point but i actually feel really grateful that i didn't go to, that they didn't take me on or that i didn't go down that path
0: why because um, you said you always wanted to be yeah
1: but if i'd done that i would have never gone to edinburgh and i would have never experienced all of those things um, and it would have like those types of courses, again, they're very focused in, they're very much like we are training you to be the best actor that you can be. I mean, I haven't done them. I'm sure they're much broader than that. Um, but I think in the end, like I had doubts about it and I wasn't sure if it was, if it was really what I wanted to do at that point. And I think those doubts have become, have become to make more sense now because I think part of me Part of me, like, is still curious about what could have happened if I'd really pursued that one goal. But part of me feels like I've been more myself in exploring lots of different things and I guess immersing myself in the visual arts world a little bit more um, and doing more experimental types of theatre rather than more of a traditional...
0: What do you like about experimental? Opinion? Yeah. <laughs> It's quite unique.
1: yeah, I just became obsessed with it. I mm. don't know. I just I think I've always struggled with art that is separate from reality, and I think experimental art really breaks down those barriers in a way that I found really interesting. and it also is a lot more connected to the visual arts. Mm. And I also find myself not fully committed to the visual arts because again, it seems so separate to reality. So I think experimental arts are such a amazing way for those things to connect. Um, I think it's a lot more diverse in, in what you can do. It's a lot less rules and you can, yeah, I don't know. I just, it, it just excited me that you could, that works could actually like impact you in a way that you would, Remember for a really long time like I think part of the the impact and the um, like what experimental art is trying to do is almost have you experience a feeling so intensely or like in a way that makes so much sense that you almost you're given sense to a feeling you're given like almost like a metaphor to a feeling and I think that's really helpful for people and I think that it's really exciting and I think that sometimes that means more to me like to say this is an interesting feeling (laughs) rather than this is a message that I want to say and Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I get frustrated with with like plays especially when they end and I'm like it doesn't make sense for a play to end and I think experimental theater doesn't have a beginning middle or end it's just like Mm -hmm. it's just the essence of a thing and I find I just find that a lot more interesting yeah yeah I mean the, the other thing about doing the drama theory rather than doing the drama practical mm. was that I love doing the drama theory. Like uh. I I I don't know, a lot of people don't like it. Because and I can get why.
0: Boring. <laughs> I, You're like, oh, I don't know what's that about. What do you love about but it? But for
1: me it like open it's for me it was almost like practical philosophy or like creative philosophy. It was like um it wasn't I mean, and I also really enjoyed studying like sociology and like I actually think I would have really enjoyed studying philosophy because I am like a deep thinker and I love spending time with those concepts and like studying theatre opens your mind up to so many different ways of thinking over the years and how people have like pushed barriers and explored things and a lot of the time it is representing what's going on in society and if something becomes this huge hit it's normally because it's like either um really beautifully encapsulating what's happening in the world at that time or it's like pushing boundaries and almost like calling people out for things or it's just it's a very fascinating space for me and and yeah just learning about the kinds of techniques that are used in order to move audiences and have audiences become invested in this theoretical space for me was just really interesting. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you, you mentioned that you kind of like get to know a lot of philosophy part. So have you kind of like formed your own life philosophy in that sense?
1: Yeah, like what, when I life? first started, and I think this again is partly me being sensitive and naive yeah, being, as a young person, but when I first read like The Theatre of the Absurd, Absurd and Waiting for Godot... And Samuel Beckett's work, which is all very doom and gloom, but also really funny. I was just, it actually it actually kind of threw me a bit. I was like, "This is a completely different perspective out of the world that I had, had never considered," and it was really challenging. I remember feeling really challenged by it, <laughs> and I'm still kind of weirdly obsessed by it, even though it's really gloomy. But yeah, I think when for like and when you forgot, it was such a like it should be a terrible play. It should be awful. Nothing happens. Like <laughs> It's like mostly it's just two guys talking about waiting and yet it has so much in in it that just, I don't know. I just, I got it immediately and I was mm. just really blown away by it. And in some ways I actually feel like I've learned more through reading mm. plays rather than seeing them. Cause sometimes seeing them, it's hard to pick it all up and obviously it's a completely interpre- different interpretation seeing a play as opposed to reading it but reading like just the raw text like i don't know that always really yeah definitely shaped the way in which i began to see the world i
0: think mm. yeah uh, so you do feel like now the things what you're doing is more it's kind of close to your heart that's the- yeah really enjoy
1: yeah definitely that's good so it's
0: like it's really a journey like since at the beginning Mm. to now yeah so it feels like that have you have you thought that you like before when you were at uni have you Mm. thought you you're going to do this
1: no way (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i mean again i didn't really know what i wanted to do yet Mm. um and i think i'd always had dreams of doing stuff like this i even remember one of my first days in edinburgh Um, sitting down in a cafe and like writing in my notebook, this is the type of event I want to create. And it was the first time that I think that like I'd put down on paper, like that I wanted to create this really immersive experience that wasn't necessarily a piece of theater or anything, but was very like involved sound and music and like, not even, I don't think it was really concerned with performance at that point. Um, And it's just, it's actually really satisfying to think that like, I may have not known what I was aiming for, but like, I think I've just naturally followed my instincts, whether I've gotten in my way or not. Like I've definitely had those doubts of being like, Steph, no, you should do something that's not so ridiculous. (laughs) Um, But if I've allowed myself to follow my instincts, like that has like all of those things that I've thought have been distractions have actually become the things that have given me I think what I'm now able to do and I think I feel quite proud of that. I think there's a long way to go and that's exciting. But um yeah, it's cool. It's cool.
0: I feel like that's a really great message like for people. Yeah. A lot of times we, we really don't know what's our next step would be.
1: And I still don't know what my next yeah. step is. Like it's it's really challenging working in the arts. Like we have finally realised that we need to have money to do what we do. Um, so now we're constantly just chasing grants, <laughs> which is great. And like, we've been, been so lucky in the past year to get amazing financial support. Um, but it's scary cause it's like, well, what if we don't get the next grant or like, what if that, what if that thing that we're dreaming doesn't eventuate? Like it's, it's, yeah, it's just like a process of making plans and being hopeful, but also being ready for adapting and changing if things don't work out, which is why I think I do it because I think it keeps me interested and excited but it also means that there's a lot of space for burnout and I think that's something that we all really need to support each other in as like a creative community that that is going to happen and that that's okay or or maybe maybe it's not okay but it's hard to like it's really hard to navigate around that I think yeah being I think we ask I think we expect a lot of ourselves as artists and there's a lot of pressure and there's not a lot of support and yeah i don't know why i'm going on this tangent but i've just been thinking about it a lot lately
0: Mm. also i do feel that you didn't really go for the like traditional path that you when you went back from edinburgh you Mm. just found the um post dining with hannah that's a brave action as well yeah it's very different what made you like to have that courage to do this i
1: don't know it's something that didn't ever feel like we ever made a decision that we were gonna do it until quite recently we we're like okay now let's take this seriously now um it's something that was kind of like a side project for a while and then all these different exp- like opportunities kept coming up and we're like okay we'll explore that and okay we'll explore that and it's almost similar to my personal journey of like we'll just try everything and then see what fits and we are never never in a million years of everything that we be- that we would have a company by now or like ever and that we'd be really taking it seriously, or that we've been getting funding to do what we do. Like we put in a weird experimental dining experience as our first ever fringe show that was actually like very, very inspired by the show that I volunteered for in Edinburgh. But that's very different to what we're doing now. And we had no expectations for it. We applied for the fringe artist fund and were completely blown away that we got it because we would never done anything like it before. And then we got a couple of weekly awards and we were like, this is crazy. And then from there, things just kept snowballing. And it's not even like we'd made the decision to do it. We were just like, we're just both people who will go for things, I guess, and push ourselves. And we're both very committed people. I think a lot of other people would be like, oh, no, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. But we're just, I don't know, kind of got obsessed by the idea. And then it just kind of kept going kept going. There's definitely been moments where I think both of us have had a lot of doubts about whether we can keep investing in mm. it because it's a lot of work. And a lot of the time it doesn't feel like you're going anywhere. But weirdly, COVID for this was this great time where we're stuck in Adelaide and we're like, let's just go for it. <laughs> and... I think, yeah, having the support of grant funding and just the people that we've been able to meet and connect with, we have had so much amazing support lately from business mentors to like creative mentors and people who really support and believe in what we do. And that's kind of made all the difference because I think until then I didn't really know what we were doing.
0: (laughs) Sometimes I still don't. (laughs) it's very inspiring like to keep doing what you're mm. doing even though you feel like oh I don't actually I don't really know what I'm doing mm. I just follow
1: and I think everyone feels that way I think we all mm-hmm. get overwhelmed by that feeling and we can so easily look I mean I've had people tell me that they're like but you're always doing amazing things and I'm like mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't necessarily always feel like that way and I and you also don't see the hard parts <laughs> you don't see the things that like you have to keep pushing and pushing when you don't feel like you can anymore um and that stuff's really hard but um I think it's important to keep in perspective that no one's ever like made it you know Mm. (laughs) like it's it's a process of continuing to do the things that you feel like you need to do at the time I don't yeah I don't really believe in the idea of like you finally get it
0: yeah wow obviously I feel like you have made a lot of decisions in your Mm. life yeah any decision that you feel like looking back You're so glad you Mm. did that.
1: I mean, I think I was really on the fence about doing the 2019 Fringe with the Australian String Quartet. That was almost a moment where post-signing could have stopped. And then we had this great opportunity to work with the Australian String Quartet, which was amazing. How did that well it, it happened through oh. Hannah just swing dancing with their marketing manager Um <laughs> yeah they just got talking about it and so the ASQ do a thing called close quarters where they try and do like a, a smaller version of their set because they normally do stuff in like the town hall which is huge yeah. and grand and like very separate and this is trying to in a way, like, a bit more of an experimental, like, view on it is, like, it's trying to put on this classic, beautiful, beautiful, skillful classical music in less conventional spaces that are more accessible to more people and, like, smaller audiences and a smaller set and, like, a smaller ticket price. And it's really cool. Um So, they're actually constantly trying to find ways to connect with people in different ways. And they heard about what we were doing and were, like, let's put on a fringe show. And at that point in time, I was feeling, like, I think I was about to start studying again. I was going to do filmmaking and I I was starting to feel this obsession towards filmmaking and I'm like, I just want to follow that. And I don't want to forget about all this other stuff that's not going anywhere. Um, But then we pushed ourselves to do it and it was amazing. Like it was the first time we'd put on a show where we felt like we were able to just do what we do well and we had other people to... Help support us with the marketing the venue management and all those little details that that those are the things that burn me out the most is like not putting on the work, but everything else around it that enables that work to be put on like all of the admin and all of that kind of stuff and so it was the first time we were like oh this is what it's like to put on a professional piece of work and this is nice I like this <laughs> it's a lot simpler and it only requires me to do my job really well not everyone's jobs mm. and so that kind of really it was a bit of like maybe a bit of like a light bulb moment for the both of us of like okay this is what we need to be working towards because we can't keep doing what we're doing and doing everything ourselves um And it was just received really well and it was really beautiful. And then we also received a grant to go to Edinburgh that year to do some networking. And I just felt captured by it again. I was like, Mm. seeing it from a different perspective, not seeing it from like, Below being like I'm not good enough to do this and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just struggling to being like oh I think I do know what I'm doing I just wasn't given the resources in which to do it well or to feel like I was doing it well and then being able to go to Edinburgh and go to the talks and hear about what it was what it meant to be a producer and a director and to tour work and that that kind of made a lot of the difference I think because um, I was like oh you know there is there's ways to do this that isn't mm-hmm. Gonna ask everything of you. <laughs>
0: That's so, so cool to think that when you were kind of like in a, a bit low point mm. and then this is kind of turn the things around. Yeah. In a way that you didn't expect before.
1: Mm. Totally.
0: Inspirations in my backyard. Original, relatable, authentic. Is there anything if you want to tell your younger self oh <laughs> <Aww. laughs>
1: You make me cry. <laughs> Gosh, it's hard because it's like every every decision that you've made has like brought you to where you are now. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like um time travel. So you don't want to sabotage anything. <laughs> but I do think so, like Yeah, I think probably my younger self needed to know that she could trust herself more and that she wasn't wrong about everything and that her feelings were legitimate and that, um, yeah, that she could trust in those feelings rather than questioning them
0: all the time. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great one. And what's next for you?
1: Whew. Um, well, what's next for me is the Food Fringe. That's probably our next thing that we're putting on. We're trying to, we're turning Eating Tomorrow into more of an educational things targeted at kids. So that's one thing that we're working on. Um, we're really, again, yeah, hoping to um, explore this touring package of Eating Tomorrow. So that kind of depends on some grant funding. So hopefully that comes yeah. through. And also I I feel really motivated at the moment to explore more of my own personal creativity. I think running a company sometimes feels like you get so bogged down in like the admin that you don't feel like you can be creative. So I wanna just spend more time making sure that, that part of myself is being given enough space and that I don't feel like because sometimes I feel like I don't pursue my own personal things out of fear. And Mm. sometimes post signing can be a bit of like a smokescreen of like, Oh, it's post signing stuff. So I don't have to like take any of that criticism personally, even though we don't usually get criticism. I still feel like that sense of fear of like putting my work out there with my name and my face on it. Mm. And I think I just want to be a bit braver about that stuff and, and assert
0: myself as an artist Mm. a little bit more. Yeah, because I feel like you have so many roles. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> which which role is the most important to you?
1: Making the work, like the actual substance of the work. That's what's important to me. And I mean, that's quite vague because that can be so many different things. I love working collaboratively to create something new. It's very hard to have enough time to focus on all of my creative energy on that when I've also got to do marketing or admin or that like whatever else which like I actually don't mind that stuff but it's I think I'm just realizing that like if I really want to make work that is has the depth and the quality that I would be satisfied by I need to spend more time on just focusing on the concepts and the ideas and the delivery rather than I don't know have we got people to put their emails down when they leave the door like, yeah. <laughs> like are we capturing our audience and like who are we trying to? like there's there's just so many preoccupations that are really important when you're trying to build a creative business and I felt really personally motivated to get that right because um, part of me wants to solve the issue of Mm. Money in the arts, and um, I don't want to be able to do that. But it's incredibly unsatisfying not having enough time to be mm. and
0: just do the creative stuff. Yeah, and so just dream. <laughs> that's that's what you mentioned about like you like to like have some performance in the imaginary world. Mm. And, yeah, it's all
1: about creating
0: worlds. Yeah, that's all I want to do. I just want to create more and more worlds. Mm. Yeah. Do you have have you like exploring or found some good habit that give you more space that you can do more creative work? Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely, um, in the past year or so, meditation has been really helpful, and I've always turned my nose up to it. I'm like, Ugh, meditation. I know it's meant to help, but actually, it really does. <laughs> like, emptying your mind of all that baggage is the only way to give it space to to feel. Joyful, I think. Like, I think without joy, like, I think there's a really interesting, like, a lot of people think that you have to be suffering to create good work. But for me, my best work comes when I'm feeling joyful, I think, Mm. and I'm feeling focused and I'm feeling motivated and I feel like I'm present in the room and can yeah get you know um so meditation and also like walks in nature they sound so they sound so lame, but they're so like nature for me is everything last year i was staying on my parents property living in a shed (laughs) um but the beautiful property in and of itself oh sorry in the hills in iron bank um beautiful property in itself but it backed onto a conservation park And it just was like, so it's like this big stringy bark forest that just most of the time I'd walk through there. I wouldn't see anyone else. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like my own really special place. And you'd see kangaroos puffing their heads up, and like koalas in the trees and so many beautiful birds. And I just and I would see it change as well every time I would go for a walk, even every month it felt like a new flower was like Mm. was coming out and it just felt like I was really getting to know it in a really intimate way where I haven't really had the opportunity to like live next to something that beautiful before. And I really miss that. Like I I miss that, like the consistency of going out and walking in nature and being able to be so close to it that you can see it change. You can see the influence of things and you can see the habits of animals and plant life. And like that was that was, sorry, that's kind of my favorite
0: place. Mm, so you need to spend more time. I do. I need to get there more often. And the last question, if you can do anything, if you have all the money resources and mm. time, <laughs> what would be your top one dream?
1: Ooh, I reckon I would create a studio space that could commission artists from all different backgrounds to collaborate and work together. So, like, we'd have, like, an overall project that we're working on and you can pay artists to be in this creative space working together to create something. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> and no admin work. like just yes, paying just someone to see? do all the admin and all the like. Like, have a strong team who, like, got that stuff. Like, they've got it. That's wonderful. So do you have any final words? Oh gosh, I feel like I've said so many words. <laughs> I haven't talked this much. It was like a therapy it. session. Oh, You're very, I made you it made me feel very comfortable. <laughs> I really
0: enjoyed it. No, I think, I think that's everything. Thank you so much, Da. Thank, Thank you for sharing all your interesting and amazing, inspiring journey that you went through. I think that's, that's really personal and to be able to listen and is it's really special. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for... Thanks for listening. If you are enjoying the show, please make sure to follow, share, rate, or leave me a comment. This podcast is written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Xie Chen Zhang. Stay well, and I'll catch up with you next week.